Welcome to Thirst Watch, a self-explanatory podcast. I'm Peyton, and I'm here with my co-host, Saffron. Hey. Each episode, one of us picks a film we've watched for Celebrity Crush, and then we discuss both the actor in question and the film's narrative and themes. This episode is Peyton's pick, and we're talking about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Don John, starring himself, Scarlett Johansson, and Julianne Moore. The film follows a porn-addicted bachelor coming to terms with his unhealthy relationship to sex. So, Peyton, what's your relationship with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and why did you choose Don John? So, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I feel like, is someone who is culturally omnipresent. I don't know when I first learned that he existed. I just feel like I've always known him to be around. But I remember having a crush on him after watching 500 Days of Summer, even though he's, like, not great in that movie, (laughs) as a character anyway. Um, and then watching him in Inception and being like, oh yeah, he's cute. And then just kind of like having it be in the back of my brain. So then when I found out that he made a movie, I was like, I kind of am interested to see what this is. But why Don John is a million dollar question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I think same for me. I don't register Joseph Gordon-Levitt as like main character energy. I hate that I said Mm -hmm. that. Um, but more like startling cameo energy where he walks into a movie and I'm like, oh, okay, he's here. Yeah, it makes sense. Like that one guy at a party that you would 100% just expect to show up. Right. Um, but like thirsting after Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think weirdly, it was 10 Things I Hate About You in my early teens. I remember everyone thirsting after Heath Ledger, which obviously I do too. But I was basically like for a brief moment, I feel like I was just in love with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's baby face in that movie. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't really have a, like a straight through line. I remember loving him in The Dark Knight Rises too. Yeah. He's one of those, I think startling cameo is a good way to put it. Cause I feel like he's never, even when he's the star of a movie, he's not the star of the movie. Like 500 Days of Summer, I think about Zoe Deschanel before I think about him. Yeah. Even though same. that whole movie is like pretty much his perspective. Yeah. Um, he's just kind of like a back of the brain guy. I don't mean that in like a rude way. He gives off like ex-boyfriend vibes. You know what I mean? Like he's still there (laughs) mentally, but he's not at the forefront of, that's so rude. I I do really like him, but yeah. Not like the ex-boyfriend that that hurt you. Just just like like, you don't amicable breakup. Yeah, no, I agree. But recently I feel like he's kind of had a fall off. His recent filmography is very, very strange. His letterbox, which I I checked right before doing this to see if it was still there. (laughs) Knives Out is billed as the most popular thing. So it comes up first when you search Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's genuinely in that movie for maybe a minute as like a phone call voice cameo. Mm -hmm. And I'm very embarrassed for him. That's that's the first thing that comes up when you search his name. Yeah. And I mean, Trial of the Chicago 7 was a very small role in a very unethically made movie. So um the last movie that I can think of where it's like he was the star of it and the focus of it is like Snowden. I was going to say, and he was good in Snowden, but that movie wasn't like very, I don't want to say it was badly received. It just wasn't very well received. Like it didn't do very well. And that was what, like 2015? I think it was 2015. Yeah. He's just got kind of like weird choices with his filmography. I just think his entire energy has sort of gone astray. Like, have you seen his Twitter? No, I've heard a lot about it. I know him and Jessica Alba basically recorded, this is so strange. It just popped into my brain right now. They recorded like ASMR horror stories or something like this within the last year. 
It's like, Joseph, call your agent, please. That is the craziest duo. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jessica Alba. I don't really know how that got set up, but. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mean to say that his filmography is bad because he's in movies that I really like. Like, I love Brick, like from, I think it's 2005. It's like a great movie. That's like one of my favorites. But I just feel like recently, like 2010s forward, it's been kind of strange. Yeah, I think his peak, like arguably, I guess, because he had lots of success in the early 2000s too. But I think his peak is probably early 2010s, like late aughts, um, kind of like post mm-hmm. 500 days in the era of like Inception, Dark Knight Rises. He was in Looper. And Lincoln, which interestingly, I find, I don't know why I find it so funny that Lincoln was the like last thing he did before directing Don John. I just find that transition very funny. Is he a big part of Lincoln? I haven't seen it. He plays Robert Lincoln. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should. He has like a pretty, it. like it's a pretty decent role. Okay. Yeah. So then to go from that to Don John is such a weird sort of choice to make. Don John in general is a weird choice to me. Yeah, lots of question marks there. Yeah. Um, but I know that he is directing like another movie that hasn't come out yet with Channing Tatum is going to be in it. Yeah, very but, vague. Right. But Don John is to date his directorial debut and only directorial sort of showcase that he has at the moment. So I'm very interested to see how he follows it up. I know. I want to see. I mean, he has a very specific approach I guess I find like his approach to editing very specific like I find that strange even in like he'd only directed shorts up until 2013 when he did the debut but Mm -hmm. I watched two of them I watched strawberry bootlaces and the blue dildo um highly (laughs) recommend um just strange I think strange editing choices strange content I feel like that's the thing about Don John to me is as your directorial debut this is an interesting story. One, it's an interesting story to tell. And two, it's a very interesting story to cast yourself as the lead in. Yeah, because the big question with any director when they make, and he wrote it, he didn't only direct it, but wrote it as well. Um, Apparently came up with the idea when he was high, which that doesn't surprise you can tell. is always like, why did you want to tell this story? Like, why is this your breakthrough directorial story? And then to cast yourself in it, I feel like implies an even deeper level of identification with the story, which I think, I don't want to make assumptions or accusations, but it just strikes me as interesting is all. Yeah, I find it's either a very self-aware casting choice where you know that you're casting yourself as a douche and you're kind of playing that up, which I feel like he does often. But mm-hmm. I think also the idea that he wrote it with Scarlett Johansson in mind is very funny to me and then casting yourself opposite her and Julianne Moore as well. I just think, yeah, there's a level of self-awareness, but then there's also just, yeah, like you said, kind of identification and wanting to be in that macho, like bro sort of role. Yeah, because there's definitely tropiness that goes throughout this entire movie. So obviously like the character of John is very like, almost like overgrown frat guy. Yeah, sort 100%. Of. Yeah. And so to cast yourself in that and then to have this character of like Barbara, Scarlett Johansson, be like this bombshell, hot girl, dime, as they call her throughout the movie. And to write it specifically with her in mind is another sort of culturally self-aware trope. But 
it's it's weird because Scarlett Johansson has always been like marketed as kind of like this very like sexy woman. Yeah, I feel um, like that's timely to say with, did you see the review that just came out and like the controversy around a Black Widow review? No, I didn't. There was, I, I mean, can assume. No, there, I mean, there was just an interesting, There, I've seen people make like actually very compelling arguments on either side of this, but Mm-hmm. Um, not to get like sidetracked, but there was an interview where the lead was basically just someone talking about like how sensuous her voice was um, and kind of missing that in lockdown. So I just think that that's interesting because she culturally, like you said, she really occupies that space of being like the sex pot, even though right. I feel like her biggest, um, I don't say achievement because I don't see it that way, no offense, but um, I think her most notable role is Black Widow and like the Marvel movies are like distinctly asexual. Like there is nothing sexual about those movies. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I think the distinctness of Black Widow has more to do with the culture of Marvel than it does yeah. with like her performances. Agreed. Um, but yeah, no, I think like her reputation is being like the sex pie, as you said, and then this role being specifically written for her um, is interesting because it's completely... Joseph Gordon-Levitt subverts that by casting himself as this like super fratty douchebag like womanizer guy because I don't think that's how anyone sees Joseph Gordon-Levitt inherently a hundred percent like I see him as like I could see him wearing tweed I feel like (laughs) he's just a very like charming nerdy sort of man so just the entire concept of Don John is very funny to me also the accent Oh God. The muscle. I couldn't get past the hair. Everything just feels like a choice that did not have to be made, but he made every single one. I mean, he went for it. Yeah. It's a very constructed facade that he seems very comfortable. Like I'm not, he didn't have a bad performance. It was just weird seeing him that way. Cause it's so like discordant with how it was distracting. I think he is a man kind of is to outside view, I guess. Mm I mean, but, no, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. I was just going to say, like, what is, I mean, I don't want to say what is the film about? Because, I mean, we've been over this outside of recording and we can't really come to any one conclusion as to what this film is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. But what is he saying? Like, what is, what's the point? You know what I mean? Why make a film like this, aside from, you know, casting hot women opposite you as like this womanizer? Yeah, exactly. I think... So the movie we already kind of said is about this guy. He's addicted to watching porn. He prefers masturbating to porn over having sex with real women, or as he refers to it in the movie, real pussy. (laughs) Um, But I think this movie tries to sort of go in a few different directions thematically and try and make a few different points. Um, Some being about like objectification, others being about like intimacy and like fear of vulnerability, domesticity, stuff like that. But I think majorly kind of the one it commits to the strongest is like pornographic male conditioning through popular media, commercial media and porn from like childhood forward. Um, So I think that's probably the strongest theme that I found throughout. Yeah, I think it's the strongest through line in the film. Like that's the one thing that from the beginning to the end, you can actually see like a very cohesive, okay, started off early, porn addiction develops, very hard to break out of. So that's the strongest one. Cause I feel like there's a lot of other plot points that just sort of fall off or aren't really explored. And then the film mm-hmm. ends on this note. Like if I had to 
be asked during the closing credits what the film was about. I would say that Don John is about a man realizing that sex is two-sided, but he treats it like it's some sort of epiphany. But that's not really what the majority of the film ends up being about. Like the film kind of follows this idea that hypersexualization and um, like male gazy imagery can facilitate those sort of addictions. But it never really explores those themes in full, I don't think. It doesn't feel very examined. It just sort of feels like, yeah, I watch porn forever. Who hasn't watched porn forever? Yeah, because there's this whole conversation that he has with Julianne Moore's character where she asks him, like, when's the last time that you, like, masturbated without porn? And he was like, never. He's like, even when I was a kid, if I didn't have VCR, I had Playboy magazines. And, of course, like, what we know about Playboy and Hugh Hefner in general, it's all very male-marketed, objectifying in a way, in multiple ways. But I think there's this sort of idea on the side of sex being one-sided in John's life, also kind of making a through line to sexual inequality or like inequality in sex because porn being massively marketed to men, it's depicted very one-sided or subservient and it's unrealistic. And he has all of these monologues about the reasons why he prefers porn to sex and it's all because it all winds up being about the fact that there's someone else to consider when you're having sex and it's not all about you so it's very interesting it's an embarrassing thing to admit you know what I mean yeah. to be a monologue too to be like why would I have sex with a real person whose feelings and body I have to consider when I could just have sex with myself and only think about myself like he's genuinely that's yeah. what the monologue is and it's self-aware like he's not can I don't think anyone in making the film is really condoning any of that or saying that that is the right approach. Right. It takes like a, a total left turn in the third act, but it's a weird, I feel like it just doesn't, this is going to sound so like first time film critic but it just doesn't find its footing. I feel like it has a lot of these ideas and doesn't commit to any of them it just sort of ends with this idea that like love is possible if you realize that sex is a two-way street yeah no definitely because I mean if we talk about the way that sex scenes are filmed in this because I feel like the way that sex scenes are filmed in movies is very telling of like kind of what the point is um in these sex scenes he's not even looking at whoever he's having sex with and it's like that sort of impersonal aspect of it, I feel like is really brought through. But then when it comes to supporting that sort of thing with like dialogue, it doesn't come through at all. So it's just kind of a bunch of Easter eggs to a thesis without something being kind of fully realized. Which I guess in Joseph Gordon-Levitt's defense is kind of how his character processes the entire situation. Like his family dynamic, it's quite obvious that he was never taught about healthy sex. Like it, it's Tony Danza as the dad <laughs> is hilarious to me, but it's very clear that they don't have a communicative relationship. And that was not something that um, was taught to him. And just kind of the culture of the film just doesn't really support that. So I think it's just the idea that he is sort of piecing these things together and just the way that he views women and stuff. I'm not calling the film problematic by any means because I don't think that that's what it's about. But yeah, the idea that so much of the film is dedicated to him and his friends out at clubs, not just ranking women, but ranking like individual bits, being like her face is a four, her tits are a two, 
her ass is a mm-hmm. 10. Like that's genuinely what a dream woman I just built by accident. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So I just think like that level of compartmentalization that he does and he practices is also represented represents um his own feelings towards not just sex but like himself and how he sees himself having sex yeah I certainly don't think that the film is like problematic by any means I think it's far too Mm self-aware to be problematic it's not one of those movies where it's like oh we're just going to make something about relationships but this guy like it's not um uplifting John in any sort of way but I think that there's definitely like kind of easter eggs I keep using that phrase but like easter eggs to little bits of reality in the way I think especially the way that friendships are depicted with both his friends John's friends and Barbara's friends um with the ideas of it because with Barbara's friends are like, oh, like, have you slept with him yet? Cause she does like, she makes him wait like a month. Cause she's always saying like, doesn't it, isn't it better when it means something? And his friends are on the other side, kind of like, you, well, you haven't done yet? it yet. Yeah. Like, bro, what are you doing? And it's very archetypal. And so I think that because of that, it's way too self-aware to argue that it's trying to kind of uplift or support the ideas that it's showing. One thing that I find interesting, and I don't know if it's going to be controversial to say, but I also don't really care, um, Mm. is the way that kind of sex and the ability to become addicted to porn at a young age is kind of adjacent to how Catholicism functions in his life. And I feel like, actually, you know, I don't think that's controversial to say. The film's saying that, and I fully agree with it. Um, I think that combination between like hypersexualized male gazy imagery like there's one part where there's like a burger ad and it's so aggressively sexual um but it's just in the background of a scene um so that kind of hypersexualization um that is just mainstream and then coupled with the promise of absolution for his sins every time he masturbates kind of spurs that fixation on porn is the idea that well it's around me anyways I'm growing up around this there's nothing wrong with it because how could there be something wrong with it if it's this mainstream and then I know that I can be absolved for this and that it's fine and you know I can participate in this culture and I have an in to do it which is just the way society functions and the way that society treats sex and then I have an out for it which is that at the end of the day I'm not guilty of anything because I can confess and I'll be fine. And I think that parallel is like super purposeful because I mean, throughout the entirety of the movie, John's character's progress is shown through one, how many times he masturbates a week mm-hmm. and we get the numbers, we get the stats every time. <laughs> um, and two, how, like how many Hail Marys he has to say yeah. after he confesses. Like those are the two metrics that his progress is shown through, which I think interestingly, is quite like, I guess I'll give Joseph Gordon-Levitt credit for this. I think it's kind of an interesting way to depict how men like measure their success through like sex and through like their morals. Um, In this case is his religion. Um, But I think it's very like purposeful that we're given numbers throughout the entire movie. I think that that's like the idea of like measuring progress through penance, I think is it's relevant and I think I'm sure a lot of people actually do that 
but there's that scene towards the end of the film. I don't know if these are the actual stats, but the idea that like um, he goes in and he says that he stopped masturbating, but he did have sex out of wedlock and kind of explains this whole situation. And he's given 10 Lord's prayer, 10 Lord's prayers, 10 Hail Marys. And he stops for a second and he says, well, father, like, how did you come to that number? And he starts getting all tripped up about the number and not the actual fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, he went a whole week without masturbating, which for someone with like a severe porn addiction, which he obviously has is kind of great. Um, But he falls off of that completely because he's so fixated on one, the penance that he has to pay. And then two, I guess, how the religion views certain sins over others yeah no I agree because those I I mean that's the way that he gets measured in the whole movie like the numbers it's like the rating of women where like there's this weird competition with him and his friends where he's like well you're only pulling sevens like I pull dimes all the time and there's like that competition there's that sense of achievement there's a sense of achievement with how many times he's masturbated which in the beginning of the movie like the more he masturbates the more pride he takes in it Mm -hmm. and then towards the end it's the opposite and then of course like with the repentance and getting the measurements of that it's like well I feel like judging your feeling of progress over how someone else sees your progress which there's always like that sort of competition throughout yeah I agree um I'm interested in how his partners are depicted in the film one there's tons of just kind of one-off women that he has one night stands with who Mm -hmm. aren't given any sort of real characterization but then there's the two you know main figures in the film which is Barbara and Edith um Scarlett Johansson and Julianne Moore um I think her name is Esther right Esther did I say Edith I knew it was an old woman name yeah it's right after. just to hit the nail on the head that julianne moore is older than scarlett yeah Jones. they really had to also i just i love the fact <laughs> i mean that, barbara to be fair like, well i mean barbara like barbie is kind of how i figured it because she's kind oh, of like a barbie point, doll but yeah edith flash esther her name's actually esther um is meant to register in our minds as older than joseph gordon levitt in case it wasn't obvious they will hammer that down 10 times mm. in the film but yeah what do you make of their two very different personas and how they function in John's life. Yeah, I think Scarlett Johansson, just because like it's kind of split between the movie where Scarlett Johansson kind of occupies Joseph Gordon-Levitt's life the first half and then um, Esther or Julianne Moore is like the second half. They're almost measurements of his progress in a way. Yeah, I agree. Um, Because his whole attraction to Scarlett Johansson is that like oh, that's a dime. Like he sees her in the club and they're like ranking women. They're like, oh, seven, six, face is a five, tits are a four. Um, And then there's like this whole moment where he sees Scarlett Johansson and he's like all over her and she's kind of like pushing him away at first because I mean, he's being very severe about it. Um, But she doesn't go home with him on the first night. She like, they, he takes her out for lunch. It's almost like this weird subversion of like the bombshell, like bimbo archetype in movies where it's like she's portrayed that way visually, like male gazy, very male gazy, but then her personality itself and the way that she handles the relationships is like quite the opposite. So he almost sees it kind of as a challenge at first, I think, in the way that he's like, well, I've waited this long, like I'm actually having to work for it. And his friends are like, you haven't hit that yet. Where Julianne Moore is like, he is kind of against 
her in the beginning because she's this older weird lady in his night class but then she shows him how to consider sex between two people instead of making it all about yourself it's almost like a bombshell brain archetype yeah I was thinking like Madonna horror complex but like not at all at the same time it's like you said is there's that idea that he has to work for Scarlett Johansson's character because she's actually not eager to have sex with him immediately versus Mm -hmm. Julianne Moore's character who I think because of her age um, ends up being portrayed in this more not prudish light but she's not portrayed as she's not sexualized and she's not portrayed as any kind of ideal woman Um, but she's also kind of more willing to have sex with him than Barbara is and I think that that idea I mean I'm interested in the idea that like Esther is pining after him or like takes a liking to him before he reciprocates and he kind of comes to her once he feels like it. Um, so in the end, both relationships are just kind of dictated by like his own timeline is he's interested in Barbara until, you know, he's not. And I mean, they both do things wrong. So I'm not saying that, you know, he was um, blameless in that or she was blameless in that. But I just think it's interesting that he comes to Esther once he feels like it and she'll have sex with him willingly versus like the patience that he kind of exhibits with Barbara and the willingness to, you know, comply to her needs for the sake of getting sex. Yeah. I think also the interesting thing about Scarlett Johansson's role in, or I should just call her Barbara, Barbara's role in John's life is that she almost functions because he, they start a relationship where they're dating. It's not like they're hooking up. It's not like a friends with benefits thing. It's like, this is his girlfriend for a while. And she also represents this sort of, I feel like in terms of us saying like, John's character is sort of this overgrown frat guy. She represents like what domesticity is gonna do to a man because she wants him to settle down. She wants him to take a night class. She wants him to get a quote unquote real job. She doesn't want him to clean his own apartment. She, and he views her almost as, like this thing that's taking his agency away, which I mean, in some ways, like, like she's not a perfect character, like in some ways she is, Um, but it's almost like she represents, like you can have the hottest girlfriend, but like at what cost to yourself? Like, what is the cost of having a woman like added to your life as like a bachelor? I think, I mean, I, my brain just went completely blank when you said that, because as soon as you started talking about um, her, her is kind of flawed, I just remembered the line where they're in this store and she says to him, don't talk about vacuuming in front of me. And then he asks her why. And she goes, because it's not sexy. And I just, I'm very obsessed with that line of dialogue. I don't think the film is particularly well-written, but I love that line. <laughs> yeah. You can't talk about fits. vacuuming because it's not sexy. Right. And I don't think that Esther's character is necessarily pining after him because it doesn't start off sexually charged. Like she's just trying to talk to him. Um, But like, I think it kind of takes a turn when she catches him watching porn in class. Cause like the whole thing with um, Barbara is that she considers like porn cheating. And so he's not allowed to watch porn. And so instead of watching it at home, he like watches it on the go and he's like watching it in class and um, Julianne Moore catches him and then brings him better porn where she's like, I doubt this is what you're watching, but this is like what you really should be. And then it kind of turns into this like weird sort of older woman teaching 
like she's kind of like in this teaching role for him like she functions as like his like vehicle to enlightenment about sex and relationships and women she's basically just a milf that hasn't been sexualized like that's kind of her function yeah. for a majority of the film which is weird but I mean, right. I, I agree. I think I said pining earlier. I don't think she was pining after him. Obviously, as the film progresses, we find out that she had a very traumatic loss. She, her husband and son died in a car accident. So she's just quite lonely, I guess, and wanted a friend. But I think the one, that's like a rogue move. If I saw someone, we said this already before we started recording, but if I saw someone watching porn in class, which to be honest, <laughs> might have happened before. I'm trying to like, I vaguely have a memory of this, but if I saw someone watching porn in class, my instinct would not be, oh, I'm one, I'm going to go talk to that person. And two, that porn looked a bit shitty. I'm going to get them better porn. So like, I think that that was like a very sexual move. Cause mm -hmm. also who hands you like a hard copy of porn? Milfs. Yeah. <laughs> that's like another example of them being like oh do you get it because she's older than him do you understand audience um yeah it's very um very much a dichotomy between her role and Scarlett Johansson's role I feel like serve very different functions but they are both kind of intended for Joseph Gordon-Levitt to like figure something out about himself yeah he's got to grow but yeah it's like a team <laughs> Edward team Jacob situation but he's just not up to the bat, I think, for either of them, in my humble opinion. I mean, he grows by the end. Barbara and Esther, like Team Edward, Team Jacob? Yeah. Oh my God, who would be who? Edward would, would have to be Scarlett Johansson. Oh, really? I would say the inverse. I'd say that um, Barbara is Jacob and then Esther is Edward. Why? This is well, interesting because yeah, this, this has is, to read into how we read their characters. That's true. I think, okay, well, Scarlett Johansson, as we talked about, is often employed in that kind of, and she's said it so many times in interviews and stuff, that sort of like shiny, like glamorous hot girl role. Um, and in this film, I'm like, it's a bit derogatory, but I'm comfortable saying she's kind of cast as a bimbo. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like that is more adjacent to like Jacob's character in... Oh, actually, you know what? I feel like you could make a compelling argument for both because Jacob and Bella have that like friendship that I guess Esther and John have. But in the end, it ends up being like Bella and Edward and Bella like grows much more with Edward. Like she outgrows Jacob. This is a total, <laughs> we did not have this but it's plan. Fun. Yeah, it's I'm, fun. I'm realizing, I don't know, actually. Because I think that it, like, Edward is like this image of like domesticity settling down possessiveness because I mean Scarlett Johansson's character is like possessive and she's like the way that her character is framed is to be possessive and like sort of intrusive on the way that um John is living his life which is a completely what Edward does for the entire franchise um I think but then Jacob is sort of like that sexy like fun aspect I feel like because I was always team Jacob okay I thought Edward was a gaslighter um, all right I'm actually very <laughs> comforted that you said that because I grew up being team Jacob and then I was shamed in my adult years once Twilight became a thing again I mean now I'm team Edward because like he's hot I don't know what to say but yeah, I yeah. was also Team Jacob. But I'm interested because I feel like Brie Larson's 
only line yeah brie larson's in this movie by the way if you haven't seen it she genuinely does not speak she's just on her phone the entire time but she has one line yeah i love her side eyes um she has one line in the entire movie and it's basically about why barbara wasn't right for john and she says that barbara has her own agenda and wants a guy who's going to do whatever she tells him to but i don't know i mean i struggle to imagine like barbara actually um embodies like a a level of domesticity because the film ends with him and julian more in i guess something of a casual relationship almost like Mm -hmm. friends with benefits sort of situation where they get along very well he's like in love with her they're in love with each other but that to me feels much more domestic than him and barbara did even though barbara might have been more eager to like take the steps between okay we're dating then we have sex we kind of progress, we move in together, we get engaged like that. So I understand seeing Barbara's character as like, she's very invested in those sort of measures of progress versus um, Esther, who isn't, I almost said Edith again, Esther, who isn't really invested in those things, or I guess emotionally can't really be invested in those things. But he even says that, that she's like, I'm not thinking about getting married to her because she can't even think about that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah it cuts she's to traumatized. A, it cuts to a shot of her crying on the stairs and he's just sitting with her and kind of letting her cry. So I feel like emotionally, they're much better together, but they still, to me at least, I can understand like an argument otherwise, but they still represent a level of domesticity that John wasn't capable of with Barbara. Yeah. I think that Barbara, I guess, is more of like the um stereotypical quote-unquote ball and chain style of domesticity where she's Mm. like this is what it means to be a man and I think there's a lot of discussion about like what it means to be a man because there's even that like kitchen table conversation where he tells his parents that him and Barbara aren't dating anymore and his mom is freaking out and she's like I look like a grandmother but I don't have any grandkids (laughs) and she's like um have like having a family is like the best thing that could happen to a man or I think maybe his dad says that he's like okay well then maybe I'm not a man and so I think there's like this definition of masculinity that runs throughout the whole movie it's like his masculinity adding as many check marks to like your list of sexual partners as being a man settling down as being a man realizing that sex is two-sided and like pursuing that fully <laughs> with Julian Moore um which I think is kind of interesting. But like I said, like we both said this earlier, I don't think that the film really commits to any idea completely. Yeah, and I'm still struck between this idea that I can't tell if that's the writing was, I don't wanna say lazy, I feel like that's maybe the inappropriate word, but it, it definitely doesn't fully commit to any one ideology. And I don't know if it's treatment of gender is actually nuanced or if it's just super founded in stereotypes and archetypes of men and women. I would say the latter. (laughs) I think it is very, like, I don't want to say that, like, this movie deserves no credit whatsoever. I don't think it's the worst movie I've ever seen. I don't think it's, like, an irresponsible movie. I just think it's kind of a, I don't know, not to be, like, rude, like, a messy movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like part of why it's so messy is because in addition to not being able to really commit to any particular theme it doesn't really commit to any particular genre either so then I never know how to read what's going on because at times it feels like a comedy at times it feels like a romance drama because it's filmed very melodramatically and it definitely handles a lot of like rom-com tropes 
but very like in a very self-aware manner. But when I, I can't tell when it's being serious and when it's not. And so then I don't know how to read it sometimes, which I think is probably my biggest problem with it. I mean, would you say that the film defies genre conventions? I would say it adheres to genre conventions. <laughs> um, so we're kind it of digs joking. its nails into genre yeah, conventions. I agree. We're we're sort of joking because there was a film critic who raved about this film, who loved it. I think gave it like a one hundred percent score, um, and um, was kind of really into the idea that the way that gender was depicted was very accurate, and the way that genre was kind of used in the film was like it was a genre bending film which I don't think it was I think it just bounces between genres and it does a sort of meta thing by employing rom-com tropes to kind of um I don't want to say subvert because I don't think it's subverting very much but it's self-aware with its rom-com tropes but I don't think that that Mm -hmm. particularly means that it's bending anything (laughs) I think saying that this movie handles like gender accurately doesn't make sense to me. I feel like it handles gender stereotypes very accurately. I think to say that it handles gender accurately would be to suggest that you think this is how people are like inherently and massively like in the majority. And I don't think that's true Um, because I don't think that this movie shows either gender like like shows like male or female gender in a particular way that's um flattering like I don't think it I don't think there's it shows any like good side like strongly in any way it doesn't make all its characters bad but it's showing kind of the valleys more than the peaks I feel like of what gender stereotypes are I agree. I think it's a messy portrayal of like the worst parts of everybody. Right. But stereotypically, I mean, we're both, we're both college-aged women. You would think that, I don't know about you, actually, I don't want to speak for you in this way, but I haven't met people like this. Like there's, I think it's just the film's lack of nuance that kind of leads us to think that this is inherently how men and women are. Um, but I mean, if I met someone like John, even the frat guys and stuff that I know, they're not like this. If I met someone like John in real life, I would run like immediately in another direction. Yeah, no, I don't, I mean, my college experience is it not to get super into myself, a little different. I went to art school. We don't have frats here. I didn't encounter frat guys. So I can't honestly say like, oh, this is what frat guys are like. This is what I imagine frat guys are like. Um, This is what I've heard frat guys are like. But also John's character, I keep wanting to call him Don. John's character is kind of end of the spectrum frat guy. Yeah. Like no respect for women in the beginning, really. Um, All about himself his pad, his ride, all of that. Love um, that. I love that he calls his apartment his pad. I, I find that very endearing. It makes me want to call my place my pad. <laughs> I think that, yeah. And there's moments where I feel like he's trying to be charming in the movie, like especially when he's kind of trying to like woo Barbara's character a little bit, like when they go on the date. Um, And he does things that would make me run away. Like she, 
she's like, how'd you find me on Facebook? Because he kind of like stalks her to find her on Facebook Uh and then asks her out on this date, which realistically, like if I didn't tell someone like my name and they found me on Facebook and then like asked me on a date, I'd be a little weirded out. But I guess that's just how the internet works. Regardless, the moment where they're on the date and he's like, what, you want to know why I actually asked you here? And he says, quote, I invited you here because I want to fuck your brains out. Is that what you want to hear? And he says it as if he's like being charming. That would scare the shit out of me. I would leave. I would like alert everyone. That's just like a weirdo thing to say. But she like finds it endearing. And I'm like, what woman would find that endearing? Oh, well, the perfect Barbie woman. Scarlett Johansson. Um, Of course. I, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I do not go to art school, kind of wish I did. Um, So there are frats at my university and I do know people in frats. Um, And yeah, they're not like this, but they have, I think that the thing for me is like, there's through lines, you know what I mean? There's some Mm -hmm. douchey behaviors, but no one is like ranking women or like their idea of flirting isn't like, I'm going to fuck you. And that's that like, yeah. so I mean, I guess it's, I just think that it's everything dialed up to 10. Um, that said, I am still very afraid of all frat guys. Um, but yeah, I agree. The club scenes, I think I found very unsettling because I mean, yeah, the, the guy that John, I'm not going to overshare. I was about to overshare, but I'm not going to. The guy that John is, is the guy who like comes up to you at a club and you feel scared. I don't think anyone Mm -hmm. would reciprocate those feelings. Like anytime you yeah. go to a club, there's always a group of like John and his friends, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that the film casts them in this sort of light where they're like this like heroic little trio. But in reality, I think you could place those three guys anywhere and they would not be getting the attention that they're getting. And I don't know, I would leave. I would just... They're literally the type of guys that women can see and know to stay away from. Exactly, yeah. Just in the way they carry themselves, they don't even have to say anything. But I think kind of going back to what we were talking about with this critic saying, like, it's a very realistic depiction of, like, how men and women handle relationships and that, you know, men can be assholes, but women can be bitches and this whole like reality versus expectation there's also I think an interesting parallel throughout the movie with like media addiction in general because the main focus is like John's porn addiction but there's a couple scenes that compare it to like Barbara's love of romantic movies and him saying like well movies aren't real but people act like they're real and it's supposed to be like this meta sort of ironic thing where he prefers porn to real sex. So it's like hypocritical. And then I think even loosely, I feel like that same sort of theme is attempted with his dad's obsession with football, but very loosely, but just sort of like this media addiction and how men consume certain media versus how women consume certain media and how neither way is realistic. I mean, for one, I imagine it would be, very embarrassing to like watch this film and this being the thing that makes you realize that you're a dick or that you're a bitch like I found that part of the the critics review funny because I mean I I would not want to sit down and see this and have this be um my your moment of enlightenment exactly like oh 
is this guy me? Do I suck? Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know that anyone would really be watching this and would deeply resonate with any of the characters because they feel so surface in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the idea of, of media addiction and this like hyper consumption sort of of it, I find it interesting that porn is likened to rom-coms because they fulfill, I think any type of media, anyone can argue this, whatever media you're interested in, especially now, whatever you consume, it does, it fulfills a function. It fills something that you need and that you're lacking and that you want to fill with, you know, some level of fantasy. And everyone does that. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Um, but I think both John and Barbara act on those in very different ways. Barbara expects something like a rom-com and she expects, you know, that her partner will never watch porn and will wait as long as she needs, which again, like these are, there's nothing wrong with these as individual traits, but I think that likening that to like the entire gender is odd. Um, yeah. And then John's expectation that, you know, sex can't be like porn because porn's better when in reality it's sex can't be like porn because porn's fake. Right. I think that's like kind of when it ties back to just like appealing to gender stereotypes of like the stereotype that like all men want is sex and all women want is like love and relationships and men don't want love and relationships and women like the suggestion that like sex is something that women do for men instead of like with them yeah um, I feel like it's very kind of runs throughout this because like even in their argument that um John and Barbara have where he tries to liken porn to her romantic comedies and she's like they give awards for movies and he's like well they give awards for porn another <laughs> I'm like okay I guess <laughs> yeah um, but I think it's just sort of appealing to that idea that back to the idea of us just saying like it's a very not nuanced portrayal of gender it's a very traditionalist idea which I think is the point but I think saying that it like subverts it or is clever about it is not necessarily true I agree um yeah so I think that I mean this is the second time we're doing this it's supposed to be a thirst watch podcast um <laughs> But so far, it's been an anti-thirst watch podcast. Um, this movie is certifiably horny. Um, it's not sexy, though. So instead of doing a round of, like, the sexiest moments, again, like we did last time with Quills, we're going to do a rapid-fire round of the unsexiest parts of this movie. I promise that in the future, we will do one of the sexiest bits. It's just very interesting that our thirst watches thus far have been, like, uniquely unsexy movies yeah but they both very horny reverse. movies like you said quills and don john verifiably horny just not sexy yeah they can't all so, be winners so yeah it just happens that we're starting off very strong <laughs> with like two unsexiest bits in a row right but let's do it so unsexiest bits of don john Firstly, the explicit play-by-play -play of John's masturbation process that opens the film. John listing his life priorities as my body, my pad, my ride, my family, my church, my boys, my girls, and my porn. Scarlett Johansson dry-humping John into a night class. John's hand hovering above the enter key like it's Sophie's choice. 
John's collection of V-necks. Any and all porn montages. John staring lustfully at Demi Lovato's Cosmo cover at the supermarket. John explaining what a Swiffer pad is to Barbara. The douchey way John walks with his traps clenched together. ScarJo's long white t-shirt cropped leather jacket combo. ScarJo smacking gum throughout the entirety of their first date. The recurring shot of John walking, if you can call it that, past the basketball courts at the gym. John requesting that the priest explain the math behind his repentance. The assortment of car cleaning products on top of John's fridge. The repeated use of the Mac trash audio every time John throws his tissues in the garbage. John trying to explain to the priest at confession why the sex he had out of wedlock wasn't just sex, but an experience. The way that the pivotal sex scene of the film is shot handheld in a dark living room, a la any 80s slasher film. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's all we got. Next episode, we might head to Italy for a date with destiny. Stay horny and smart. Bye, guys. Bye guys.